Good afternoon and welcome to the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy's live weekly broadcast. I'm Roberta Oster, the Communications Director. Our weekly program brings the expertise and perspective of Virginia's faith leaders, legislators, policy experts, and community activists. We focus on economic, racial, social, and environmental justice issues. And we share resources and opportunities for you to get involved in our work advancing social justice and helping our neighbors. Our program keeps you up to date and keeps our elected officials accountable. This is an interactive broadcast. We encourage you to please ask questions by writing them in on Facebook during the show. Today, we have brought together state and national experts to address the critical issue of worker health and safety. I am pleased to introduce our guests. Debbie Berkowitz is the Worker Health and Safety Program Director for the National Employment Law Project. Rebecca Rindell is the Safety and Health Director of the AFL-CIO. Jason Urashes is a lead attorney at the Legal Aid Justice Center. And today we have a special guest, our first journalist to join the broadcast live, reporter Michael Pope from Virginia Public Radio. And now I'm pleased to hand this off to our moderator, my colleague and friend, Kim Bobo, Executive Director of the Virginia Interfaith Center. Kim? Thank you, Roberta. And thank you to our guests for joining us to talk about this really critical issue of how are we gonna protect workers in Virginia and the opportunity that we have in Virginia to create a standard for health and safety. Um, so I wanna start by asking Jason, um, how did we get to this point where we have a possible standard being considered? Let's see, it's a, it's a long story, but in short, really what this, uh, the foundation of this is that the community started to speak up. We're talking about workers, coalition partners, community leaders, and really folks that were just interested in what was going on during COVID in the workplace. In short, we had folks both in the Eastern Shore as well in the Shenandoah Valley, organizers, workers across multiracial, socioeconomic, all the folks come in the community and saying, hey, look, things are not going right in the workplace here. And they had car rallies, um, in front of poultry plants and came out and said, look, things are not going right. We worked alongside them. And we petitioned the governor um, who uh, wrote up uh, along with the Department of Labor and Industries, asked the, their board to promulgate these regulations. And so we really commend the governor and the Department of Labor and Industries for getting to the point where we are. And we're hopeful that the board makes the right decision to enact these uh, important emergency standards. So, Michael, I'm going to ask you as a reporter, This you're new to this, um, what do you want to know about these uh, this proposed standard? Uh, unmute yourself there, Michael. <laughs> I am new to this. Thank you. Uh, well, I think, you know, a good place to start would be kind of where we're at right now. So um, these are proposals. They're not enacted yet. And so there is a feeling uh, in the business community that there should be more input and perhaps some sort of public hearing. Uh, Jason, uh, maybe I'll throw it to you in, in terms of like, what's wrong with having a public hearing? Why, 
uh, is why is there such a rush to go ahead and do this now and not give businesses and the business community uh, an opportunity to weigh in on all these things? It's a great question. I'll uh, let my colleagues answer or fill in anything. But what I'll say is the public has had an opportunity to comment. And we do have different procedures under Virginia law whereby there's longer comment periods under certain parts of the Administrative Act. And then there's also, for a very good reason, the ability for the uh, government to be able to say, hey, look, there's emergent circumstances here. There was an emergency uh, live or comment period where the public had a 10 day period to do so. There was over 3000 comments submitted, including comments by large uh, swaths of folks across many different industries for which the board has had time to consider those. And so we would say under these emergent circumstances, it's great. The public has had a time to comment. And as we'll get into later, the board has already determined that this is a grave danger. And so let's push it forward. Good. So, uh, Debbie, you used to work for OSHA. You were like chief of staff and key policy person. So aren't doesn't OSHA have some sort of standards and isn't that enough? Why do we need this in Virginia? So it's quite stunning, Kim, and that is that federal OSHA in this administration has uh, decided not to issue any specific worker protection mandates that employers have to follow in the workplace in any state in the country. There are no specific requirements on how to protect workers from COVID-19. There are no requirements that you need to allow workers to wash their hands repeatedly or stay six feet apart, or that in some workplaces you need masks and like in healthcare, you need respirators. Even though they were petitioned to issue an emergency standard, the uh, AFLC, I mean, the AFLCO did the petition, but OSHA under uh, Secretary of Labor Eugene Scalia decided that we're not going to issue any protections. And so therefore, it is really up to the states to implement protections so that workers know when they go to work every day that their employer is required to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 at work. Now, some governors have done this through executive orders where there's no comments, nothing. They just have implemented some you know, requirements because otherwise there would be none. And so I think what Virginia did by writing a comprehensive proposal and allowing the public to comment on it uh, and to put it in an emergency basis is more than most states have done at all and is really uh, what what should what the federal government should have done and uh, bravo to Virginia for moving forward. So Mike, I think you want Rebecca, to follow up. Yes, uh, Rebecca, I was interested in asking you about these complaints to OSHA. So there have been thousands of complaints. The number I saw was 4,000 complaints to OSHA, but only one citation. I was interested in asking you about the process there. I was speaking to an opponent of this earlier today who said uh, that, you know, shouldn't the the goal here be compliance rather than punishment? And just because there's one citation, what does that actually mean? So these complaints, some of them are probably uh, from the business community, that some of these are probably frivolous or people who don't like their employer and are filing a complaint out of revenge or spite. Uh, so what, what does it say to you that there have been 4,000 complaints but only one citation? Sure. Uh, thanks for that question. Really, compl OSHA complaints, you know, the fact that you're seeing so many OSHA complaints right now is really a sign of workers being fed up and scared and going to work and 
knowing that uh, the conditions that they're working in are not safe. And so they're filing complaints. Um, I don't think it speaks to uh, the agency, OSHA, taking any proactive action. Um, and I guess my question would be in response, you know, compliance, this speaks to compliance. Compliance with what? There's no standard to know that there's compliance. There's no um, real uh, accountability there to know uh, that the prevention measures that employers are putting in are actually protecting people. And that's what a standard would do. A standard would, would line that up. Um, the fact that there's been one citation and over 5,000 complaints that have been filed I think really speaks to, you know, what is the, the lack of accountability. And I want to point out the citation was for reporting to failing to report a hospitalization. So while that's really important, that's not a prevention measure. And what people need right now are prevention measures to keep them safe at work. And I, Debbie, I want to ask you: um, Doesn't CDC have some guidelines? Won't that isn't that enough? That's a good question, Kim. You know, CDC has issued guidelines. So has Federal OSHA, but these are guidelines. They are advisory. They are not required. In fact, most of CDC guidelines, like everything they recommend, says if possible, consider this but they're also just guidelines, they're advisory. OSHA isn't enforcing it and they're sort of unenforceable and employers can choose to follow them or ignore them. And uh, you know, so you're in a state now, a situation where workers are on their own and you're expecting employers to do voluntary compliance, but there's no uh, greater evidence that voluntary compliance isn't working by the incredible outbreak in poultry and meatpacking plants and nursing homes that because, you know, companies and industries did not implement the safe practices uh, uh, early on, uh, you have this outbreak. And that's why you need mandates. And I have to say, I know you didn't ask, but the Virginia Emergency Temporary Standard is just basic you know, requirements. These aren't like fancy pants you have to put in some kind of new ventilation system or this is just sort of the basic things that you and I who are teleworking at home, you know, the kind of protections that, that we do for ourselves that employers need to do for workers when they go to work. So just describe briefly. That, so, uh, well, and so I was curious about following up on that. So you say they're basic and they're, you know, things like sanitation and disinfection and hand washing and, um, you know, physical distancing. But the concern, you know, you hear from the business community is one size fits all is, is a problem. And so if you look at something like welding or construction, it would be really impossible to keep six feet apart. So the, the people involved, you know, these business owners feel like there are lots of jobs where if you try to impose the same standard on them that you impose on everybody else, it's just not going to work. Um, and, and so what would you say to a business owner who like, like the dentists have been opposed to this health workers or they want exemptions. Um, what would you say to all these businesses that say this one size fits all approach is not going to work. And I want an exemption for my industry. Michael, we know how to protect the public from COVID-19 and it's six feet apart and it's giving masks and allowing workers to, uh, who can't be six feet apart all the time. So 
uh, you know, there's construction going on right, you know, near my house and they're doing, they're, it's all outside. And even when it's inside, they're keeping six feet apart. And uh, when they're not, they're wearing masks and then they're separating. So as opposed to meatpacking plants where workers are still working shoulder to shoulder, hundreds, thousands in a workplace, uh, it, that, that's not going to protect workers. And I just want to tell you something about the dentists who have a history of opposing any regulation. And I'm old enough to know that back in 1992, when OSHA issued a regulation to protect dentists and dental aides from getting AIDS or HIV at work, they opposed it. They actually completely challenged the standard and laws because they didn't want to wear gloves. They didn't want to wear masks. And I have to tell you, there isn't one dentist office in this country now that doesn't comply with that standard. So I understand people are anti-regulation, but we need to protect one another. That's what we have to do in COVID-19. And if you're an employer, you have to protect your workers and that's your obligation. So Jason, let me ask you, there are differences in the standard, right? For different kinds of businesses. There are like three levels. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'll, I'll give a, a brief overview of it. And I think uh, Rebecca's probably in the best position to dig in on the specifics. But yes, there are parts of uh, the proposed uh, emergency standards that speak to the low level, mid level and high level of risk that already have been written into the standards. Again, that were pursuant to what they what the government proposed in the briefing package and on which the business community, as well as the public, has had an opportunity to comment on and which will be considered by the board. Rebecca, I don't know if you have any other specifics on that you want to go in on. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. This standard is set up in a way that is adaptable and flexible and can be tailored to each workplace. So something like a meat processing facility and a dentist office and a, a small business um, office workers, it's not going to be applied the same across the board. And that's really the big benefit of a standard that's set up like this. Um, we've seen other standards that have set up like this and, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, in no way does this standard lay out anything, you know, like Debbie was saying, out of the ordinary, really basic protections, but it also tailors it to each workplace. The whole point is for employers to be required to set up a plan. Everybody who is working during a pandemic should have a COVID-19 safety plan to keep them safe. Um, and this, you know, in Virginia, you saw essential workers who had to go to work for those first couple months um, in these essential workplaces, really big problems, really major outbreaks. These affect our communities. They don't keep our family safe. They don't keep our community safe. And now with everybody returning to work and reopening, and this certainly is not a one-size-fits-all solution and this standard is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I mean, this is a very flexible approach and I think that's the beauty of how um, the standard is, is really laid out. So, Jason, tell us about this Virginia Safety and Health Codes Board. Who's on it? Where did it come from? What is it? Yeah, so it is uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's built into the law. It's, uh, uh, it basically, when, when the Department of Labor Industries or the Virginia Occupational Health uh, Safety and Health uh, has something that they want to propose, these go in front of the um, Health and Safety Codes Board. They've rarely enacted if, uh, the emergency provisions, and, and which will come up in a time like this, where they've already determined it's a grave danger. 
The board is comprised of folks both on the labor industry, uh, on the labor side, as well as the employer side, and has two representatives from the government, the Department of uh, Environmental Quality, as well as on the Virginia Department of Health. So it's a wide swath of folks that um, are involved and will have uh, opportunities to vote here. And again, they have already voted 9-3, uh, saying that this is a grave danger to, to the community right now. We can't hear you, Kim. Oh, Michael, uh, do you have other questions? <laughs> yes, I've got a number of questions, Kim. So uh, I'm just I'm going to ask an open question to anyone who wants to address it, um, which is one of the chief concerns of the business community is uh, liability. They're afraid they're going to get sued, and then workers' compensation. They'll have to pay a lot of money in lawsuits and workers' compensation. And one of the things they're most worried about is that there's going to be potentially an assumption that a worker got COVID-19 while at while sort of on the workplace. But, you know, sometimes we don't know where they got it. And so what they're concerned is the inspector's going to come in and they're going to say, okay, you got COVID-19, you got it here at the workplace when it's possible they might have not gotten it there, and then the business will be open to being sued and workers' compensation. So what would you say to these businesses who are concerned about the assumption, the assumption that the worker got the disease in the workplace when that might not in fact be the case? I, I, I'm happy to go forward. Question to anyone who wants to take it. I, I, I'm happy to go forward. And first I wanna say, um, Michael, to your earlier question, there are grades of protections that employers have to put in into this standard based on risk. And, uh, and so for lower risk, there's just sort of basic education informing people. So it's as you go up in risk that different um, uh, protections uh, get implemented in the standard. So it's not one size fits all. But so I have to tell you, because I've been doing a lot of work about workers getting sick at work, and uh, I know there's about 2,000 workers' comp claims, I think, have been filed in uh, Virginia. As a whole, it is very, very hard for workers to get uh, workers' comp when they have an occupational illness for exactly the reason you're saying, and that is the bar is very hard to show that uh, it occurred at work. And uh, workers' comp actually limits an employer's liability. It is in 99.9% .9 of cases, the exclusive remedy that workers have when they get sick because of work. It's not like they can sue the employer because even if the employer was negligent, the employee, the employee all they have is workers' comp. And the way it works in Virginia, as in uh, 49 other states, is employers um, purchase insurance. And then the insurance company, um, you know, handles the claim. And I know in some states uh, they are passing some uh, laws to make it easier for certain workers to get workers' comp, like healthcare workers and the highest work workers, so they don't have to argue that they got it at work. In other states, they're saying that um, uh, a work, an employer's premium should not be affected by how many COVID cases they have at work. And so therefore it's just played from insurance. I do know the workers' comp system is healthy, that employers, uh, even if they have cases of workers' comp, their premiums should not go up because there's such a reduction in traditional workers' comp claims right now that we just actually heard from the National uh, Council of Compensation Insurers that the system is healthy. But I. I want to tell you, Michael, that I think it's going to be very, very hard 
for most workers to get workers' comp. And that just means the system of, uh, of providing, you know, uh, support to workers in terms of health care and uh, wage replacement because they're out because of COVID-19. And most of them in the, in the essential industries that got it at work, um, uh, most likely got it at work, you know, are, you know, will now have to fall back on their community and family for support. So in many ways, workers' comp is the best alternative for workers once they're sick. And I hope employers do not contest these cases and insurance companies should not raise premiums. Can, can I just add to that? Yes, of course. Great. So um, under the laws in this country, the occupational safety and health laws, so you know, worker employers are always responsible for keeping the workplace free from hazards. Um, this is not new. Uh, in Virginia, that's certainly the case, right? Virginia has its own agency on occupational safety and health, and that's what this board is pushing to move forward standards under. It's the employer's responsibility to uh, mitigate the, the hazards that are in the workplace. So we're not asking them to go throughout all the entire community to do so. Um, and, and it's not the first time that hazards have crossed over between the workplace and the community. I mean, you can think about other hazards where that's happened. Certainly in the case of this virus, um, they, they interact very closely with each other. But whether somebody got it at work or not, it is still the employer's responsibility to correct hazards in their workplace so that people don't acquire the virus at work. That is, you know, that's the bottom line and that's what the agency and the state has been tasked to do with and I believe that, you know, the board is following is following through with that. Can I just give one brief, oh, go ahead, Michael. Go ahead, Michael. Say on, that, on that last issue, if we could go back to uh, Rebecca. So um, you were saying that like, uh, you know, proving, if you can you prove that someone got it at the workplace, then it's the, really the workers, the employer's responsibility. Um, the That's sort of a new phenomenon, right? So, I mean, if you think about uh, the history of this, you know, these kinds of in, um, investigations and uh, sort of holding employers responsible. In the past, we would not have held an employer responsible if someone got flu, right? Or any other kind of viral disease in the workplace. And so th this would be kind of a, a new phenomenon, right? Yeah, Debbie. Both Rebecca and Debbie want to answer this. Oh, no, no, it's okay. So this is not the first workplace uh, safety and health phenomenon. I mean, you can think about here things like hearing loss where this has been argued. It's like, did they get it at work or did work? Well, I was talking about vi viral diseases. Sorry, viral. Yeah, but this is a wildly contagious disease, right? I mean, this has been... Um, this, is, this is new in terms of the impact and the spread, but that makes it even more important to control it where the major outbreak centers occur and the major outbreak centers have been in the workplace. Um, so it, it, in that term, in those terms, it's not, um, and we're not saying they have to be responsible, you know, employers have to be responsible for everything, but if you're going to prevent the spread of this virus, you're going to make sure that you're tracking cases and the local health department knows about them and that they can, you know, intervene and, and that there can be preventative standards in place, which is what we're doing here. There are a whole variety of measures at play 
So in that in that term, I mean, we haven't had a disease. This is a pandemic. I mean, right? We haven't we haven't experienced this. It is something that um, really needs devoted attention to prevent the spread, and and that's where you're going to get it. Yes, I want to add something, Michael, if that's okay. So in this pandemic, workers were required to go to work in critical industries. If they stayed home, they didn't get anything. They couldn't even get unemployment insurance. So we have required workers to go to work during this pandemic. We required healthcare workers. We required meat packers. We required supermarket workers. And that's why people are calling them heroes when real, because they really, you know, kept us fed and kept us healthy. And so I think that makes it really different than the flu. And it makes it really different than the cold where workers can stay home. Remember that. And also there are a lot of workers now that are too scared to go to work like in restaurants and um you know like in virginia there was just uh, a news story that um you know virginia has terminated unemployment insurance benefits for a lot of workers thousands of them that just don't want to go back to work now it could be they don't want to get back to work because it's on reduced hours and they don't have childcare, which are very legitimate but we're in a really different situation than we ever were with the flu or the or the common cold and also i want to make one other point and that is that Black and brown workers are our essential workers and they're the ones that have been out front and they're mostly that make up a lot of the low wage jobs like restaurants where you're gonna have, again, congregates, you know, people that can't telework. And we know from CDC and we know from the Kaiser Family Foundation that because of, you know, various things from structural racism that, you know, black and brown workers are um, impacted in a much more severe way when they get um, these illnesses because of underlying health conditions for because of lack of access to uh, you know better health care and so you know I think that that's what makes this uh, a very different uh, situation and as Rebecca said employers have an obligation to protect workers at work and this is definitely if you look at the spread in warehouses in meat plants and grocery stores you know this is definitely spreading at work and then back out into the community. And if you're gonna protect the public, you need to protect the spread, you know, workers from uh, the spread at work. Uh, one of our questioners asked, well, what are the kinds of industries in the medium and high risk categories? Um, uh, Rebecca, you wanna take that one? So, there are different ways um, that you can you can look at this, um, but when you're thinking about when you know that you're going to be in contact with somebody who has COVID, so for healthcare workers, it's obviously, um, I think many people watching know understand and, and saw that the first couple of months of this pandemic, healthcare workers were extremely high risk. They're taking care of the patients who have the disease. There are other workers associated with healthcare workers like transport, first response, um, all very at high risk, but it, you know, and it's important to remember it's not only um, where workers are know that they're um, taking care of a patient with COVID, but this disease, many people don't present with symptoms. So it's also a lot of other workplaces where workers work very close to each other or they work with the public. So Debbie mentioned um, like poultry processing, that's a, a pretty high risk uh, environment. Um, for this and other plants, manufacturing plants where people work closely together, where they don't have these other measures that are in place. Um, so you have you have different risk levels. I mean, that's going to be different than, like I said earlier, maybe some office workers. Those would not 
necessarily be in the highest risk category, but there would be other measures that people that they would have to implement in those in those scenarios as well. Right. Great. Um, so what can people do about this? Who wants to go? <laughs> so, you know, there are really tried and true measures for preventing workplace safety uh, hazards. I mean, this is, we've been doing this for centuries, for decades, surely. Um, the Occupational Safety Health Administration, everybody knows by now, OSHA, it was created in the 70s, and we know how to prevent workplace safety and health hazards. And you can approach this in a similar way you do for other safety hazards. So I know a lot of people know about PPE now because that's been all over the news, you know, people wearing um, protections, but there are a lot of other ways like keep, keeping workers uh, farther apart from each other um, in terms of, you know, Debbie mentioned the six foot or more rule uh, and certain um, access to, you know, sanitation and putting up barriers and, and not having people work uh, closely together, that might mean staggered shifts, um, that might mean physical isolation uh, for when folks are near each other. There's a host of things um, that are not new, right? We've done this for exposure to chemicals and dust and other things. I mean, we've done this in other capacities. It's just adapting it to it being a, a, viro a virological, a virus um, spreading in the workplace. I've got one uh, more. Go ahead, Jason. Just very briefly, so in terms of actual action items, folks can reach out to the governor, administrative agencies, the folks that we've talked about to really encourage people to make the right decision, as well as uh, board members who are across different communities across Virginia are representing different sectors. So those are actual action items. And I would also, in, in terms of the messaging, we've talked about a lot of different messaging, but Michael brought up some great points about uh, that are on the opposing side uh, about increased liability, over-regulation. And what I would sort of say to that is to try to flip the narrative here, which is that really what we're talking, we're not interested in increasing liability for folks. We're not in interested in putting businesses out. In fact, quite the opposite. We want businesses flourishing as they have in Virginia. Virginia is the number one protective state for businesses, but that should not be at the expense of workers, particularly during emergent time. Virginia's historically been almost last in terms of worker protections. So we need to flip that narrative. When we have good, healthy workforce and people are happy and feel empowered to be able to speak out, that helps business. And frankly, if other businesses are not complying with the standards, then other businesses are being put at a competitive disadvantage when other businesses are not complying, just like any other law. They're putting not only the individuals at, at uh, individuals at uh, risk, as well as the public health, but also their own business, when other businesses are sneaking under the radar by not complying. Jason, well, and I have to say, I run a small business, right? I run a small nonprofit, and I don't know what to do, right? This is a scary time. And so, frankly, I would love some just very clear standards that say, here's what you should do, Kim, right? And if you're doing this, you know, you have the best chance of protecting your workers. And I think most employers want to do the right thing. They want to protect their employees. But, you know, we, we I don't have a degree in this. And so 
it would be helpful to most employers, especially small employers, to have some clear standards on how you can protect your workers. Michael, it looked like you had another question there. And then we're going to probably just take a couple more questions and a few more comments, and then we'll need to wrap up. Go ahead, Michael. Yes, thank you. So, uh, Jason, you just said something I was interested in circling back around on, which is, you know, Virginia has this reputation of being first in business. Uh, another reputation that Virginia has is not really ever being the first to do anything. Virginia is sort of one of these states that follows along the, uh, the lead of other states and let them make mistakes and then come around and do it, you know, the Virginia way. Um, so, you know, Virginia does not have the reputation of being the first and doing the stuff first, but this is a first, right? There, there is no other state that has done anything quite like that, uh, quite like this. Uh, and so um, what would you say to businesses who are really concerned about uh, sort of uh, leading the way in a way that might have a bunch of mistakes and uh, might do something that's actually harmful to businesses, creating red tape, costing a lot of money during economic crisis? I mean, there's clearly a lot of concern in the business community. What would you say to those those businesses? Now, kind of harken back on uh, what, what I had discussed before, just that really we're talking about really common sense regulations here. And as Debbie and Rebecca have noted, nothing here is really out of the ordinary. We're talking about what the, not only the CDC, but medical professionals are talking about across the country, the things that we need in the workplace. And so kudos to Virginia for being on the front end of that. Sometimes, whether you're a business, whether you're an individual, you have to take a step back and do some introspection and realize where you're at on an issue. And Virginia, uh, both the governor and the Department of Labor is taking a step back and saying, hey, if nobody else is stepping up, let's step up to the um, plate here and really be first on this. And so kudos. And I want to, I want to, I'm going to call on Debbie in a second, but I also want to say, you know, you should, we should all be thanking the governor for calling for this. The governor is a physician. He understands this. And so we're going to put up the governor's email so you can send him an email and thank him for uh, asking his staff to put out these proposed regulations. Uh, so uh, Debbie, uh, you, you want to comment on this? Yeah, just for a second, I agree. I want to give kudos to Governor Ralph Northam. I think because he's a physician, he gets it. If you want to protect the public uh, from COVID-19, you also have to make sure that some very basic precautions are being followed in the workplace because he saw just in his own state what happens when it's not followed. And um, I also want to say two things. One is that Virginia OSHA, you have to give them credit that, you know, they sat down and they wrote this emergency standard and they put it out for public comment. And in a lot of other states that have their own OSHAs like Virginia, the governor's just implemented executive orders really quickly to get protections in. And so a lot of the states have some of these protections, more here, less here, um, but none of them did it with any, any public comment. So I think this is really a great model, a model of democracy and a way to protect Virginia. I mean, if Virginia wants to keep its case uh, rate low and protect the public, this should be what the board adopts and uh, we hope they do. Rebecca. Sure. Just to go back on something that um, I believe Michael asked, uh, there are, it is, it's, it's not new about how to protect people from infectious diseases in the workplace. Um, California has had a 
a broader infectious disease standard for a long time. Um, and, um, you know, it didn't put businesses, uh, people out of business out there. There are just very simple common sense control measures that they've been able to implement, say, in like the healthcare industry. Um, so I just wanted to point out that, you know, this, this would be the first for COVID-19. It would be incredible. Um, and it would, it would, it would really set the stage, but I think, um, it, it's, it's not out of the ordinary. Um, it's, it's something really to be, to commend the state for doing. And, you know, small businesses have a lot of tools at their disposal. We've heard from a lot of small businesses who want to know, instead of getting a lot of different guidelines out of here, out of there, CDC, OSHA, um, they're not required. We don't know what to pick out of these. We don't know what we can follow up on. Um, we, they, they have a lot of tools, right? They have the, the ability to follow, they, they're gonna have the requirement to follow the standard, which we've heard would help them. And I think Kim, that goes to your point as a small business owner. There's also something in OSHA called the consultation program. And this is a, a program, it's free to small businesses. Small and medium-sized businesses can call OSHA anytime. They always have been able to. They can have free consultation in their workplace to help them improve and put stand, um, you know, to comply. I mean, this isn't just about going out and, and issuing citations, but this is about really getting those preventative measures in so that people don't get sick. And there are a lot of tools um, at hand to do that. So, Michael, do you have one uh, last question you want? And then I'm going to also ask each person to close by saying why they think we ought to do this in Virginia. So, Michael, you have a last question for them, too? Sure. Yeah. Like I said, I got a notebook full of questions. But, you know, one thing that you hear from businesses, one thing that you hear from businesses that they're particularly uh, concerned about is social media. So one of the um, items here that is being discussed is um, – not not allowing businesses uh, to take re retribution on people for posting things on social media. Like, for example, if your employer doesn't want you to wear a mask and then if you go on Facebook and you talk about your employer and how terrible they are and they didn't want you to wear a mask, uh, you know, the concern you hear in the business community is that's not really the best way to go about doing this. Uh, maybe you should file a complaint with OSHA. Maybe you should file a complaint with the state and sort of going online and airing all of that out in, in the public square on, on social media is, is not the best way to go about doing that. So that particular part of what we're talking about here has raised a lot of concern. Um, open question, I guess, anyone that wants to talk about that. I'll make a very brief note, just up and above the uh, general notion in terms of Virginia and the United States as a place where we enjoy great freedoms in terms of being able to speak. It's very interesting hearing that from, because we hear a lot of companies pre-COVID that in fact, some that make uh, workers sign agreements say that they're, if they have any complaints about anything that they're not going to complain about anything via social media or otherwise. So we have them trying to stymie folks in the first place to be able to speak out about things. But again, we'll go back to this notion. If folks are operating correctly under the standards, they're not going to have any problem. Do the right thing. And we will be correct in uh, having progress here for folks uh, across all industries. So, Jason, why don't you take this question, too, from uh, our listener? Uh, in fact, migrant farm workers. Uh, no, in this instance, they, they are covered by these protections, uh, Manuel. And we can go uh, on a separate session into the fact that 
farm workers are historically left out a lot of these protections, but they're actually in these protections. And one interesting part here is a lot of these petitions were given on be on behalf of migrant farm workers and poultry workers. So it's great to see that the folks that are historically been left out actually have turned the tables here and uh, we're on the uh, precipice of enacting regulations that are actually going to um, enacting standards that are going to protect um, all workers in Virginia. So let me ask again in closing here. So Rebecca, why does why should Virginia pass this? Look, Virginia uh, has major ongoing outbreaks. I mean, they have you know Virginia has had outbreaks during this has been going on since early March, even before that. And these aren't older outbreaks that we're just trying to address now. Just last week, I mean, there were reports of thousands of workers getting sick, many workers dying in, in different um, industries. I mean, this is just as relevant today as it was then for Virginia workers, for their families, for their communities. And so it's really important that we get this done um, quickly and that we move the process forward, um, If you know, Workers need to be protected so that their, their families can be protected. All right, Debbie. So in this pandemic, to protect the spread of COVID-19 out in the public, we have to protect workers at work from uh, the spread of COVID-19 at work, where they can then bring it back out to the community. And as the Virginia economy reopens, and we're all rooting for this, we want to make sure that workers who are now being called back to work that they know that their workplaces uh, have to implement certain measures to protect them. And I think that will uh, protect not only the workers, but their community as well. Jason. The arc of worker justice is long, but uh, I would suggest that uh, Virginia is in a good position to uh, be a leader and be on the right side of history here and be a model for other states in the South and across the nation to show that we're not just protecting businesses during this historic pandemic, but we're also protecting the workers that keep all the businesses and the economy afloat. So I want to thank our guests, but I also especially want to thank Michael Pope for asking the question for reporters. Uh, and if any anyone listening, particularly reporters, because this issue is coming up for a vote on Monday, if you want to write about this, please call Roberta Oster at Virginia Interface Center, our communications person. She can get you in touch with any of us uh, to answer more questions. Uh, we urge our listeners to send an email to the governor. Uh, we're going to put it at, up on the screen one more time. And if you want to stay informed on all of these and other important social justice issues, please sign up at virginiainterfaithcenter.org. Again, thank you uh, to the guests. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And thank you to listeners for joining us.